Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we have got a behemoth of a show lined up for you. Uh, Molly Haran from NYU Tisch is on the pod. Uh, I went back and forth a bit on who to have from NYU Tisch, since we have a number of connections to teachers there, but it is such a unique beast of a school. You're going to hear me call it a beast in behemoth a couple different times in the episode um, in terms of the studio system and how it all works. So I really wanted to have someone who knew the administrative level deeply to be able to speak with confidence about all the intricacies of the process. I was so glad to have landed on Molly and a shout out to my friend Maurizio for helping guide me to her. And I think you will find she's really articulate about all of these specifics, and there is a lot to learn about NYU specifically. Today on the pod, we get into NYU students as multi-hyphenate artists with rigorous academics, how the studio system placement works, uh, how to approach that darn all studios box for MT hopefuls. Uh, We talk about industry exposure for NYU students and how it's different from maybe a normal showcase model uh, and what NYU is looking for in their conversations or another word for the interview process. Um, Before we get into Molly, I'm just going to do a really short housekeeping section this week since it was a long interview and we want to get right into it. Um, But I did want to remind you, I had mentioned on one of our previous episodes, we're going to be taking a short six-week break for new episodes this summer, and that'll start three episodes from now. I'd say three episodes instead of three weeks because I don't really know when you're listening to this in truth. Um, But during this break, we're going to do a few rebroadcasts of some fave artist episodes from last seasons. This is especially for our newer listeners to get a bit of a curated catch-up of pods that I think you're really going to dig and for older listeners to enjoy once again. Or I wouldn't say older listeners. I'm going to say for our loyal listeners who've been with us since the beginning, it'll be a chance to kind of check out some artists that you may have missed. Um, We'll be releasing those still every Wednesday, um, just so that you get in that same beautiful habit of your your Thursday morning jogs along to Mapping the College Edition, you'll still be able to do that. Um, And then we'll be back with brand new exciting content in August, and we have some really exciting schools lined up for the fall already, as well as some really neat artists and interesting paths taken on this crazy map. All right, let's get to Molly Haran and this jam-packed episode on NYU. Well, we are so excited to be joined by Molly Haran. Uh, Molly has a BFA from NYU Tisch, from ETW. We'll talk about that for sure. Um, she is a lyricist, composer, actor, and teacher. As a performer, she's worked at places like Playwrights Horizons and Manhattan Rep, and is currently the admissions administrator for NYU for the last couple of years. 
One of the big reasons we wanted Molly on the show is that NYU is its own special behemoth. So we'll give a little bit of facts about it. It's in New York City. Of course, people know that. They have different studios with different class sizes, but about 350 to 400 total people in the freshman class of NYU Tisch in all the different studios. We'll get a little bit, probably not deep into all of the different studios, but we'll talk, maybe touch on a couple different options there. Molly, welcome on the show. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I can't wait to talk about NYU. I can't wait either. So it's difficult, I think, in this, you know, the behemoth I keep calling it and that it's so many different schools almost within the school. If you had to say, though, like, what do you think makes up an NYU student or what what a typical NYU student is in the larger sense of NYU Tisch, especially? We'll, we'll focus on Tisch today, though. I may throw a couple Steinhardt little thoughts at you. But um, if you think about an NYU Tisch student, what kind of student feels like the right fit for NYU Tisch? A student who is interested in the field of theater. You know, we are a studio that focuses on uh, a lot of different aspects of the field, not just performance, but also writing and creating your own webinars, what it means to be a multi-hyphenate artist. Mm -hmm. Also a student who is curious, you know, as as an alum and now working on the other side of it, I think that my view of the field was very narrow when I entered NYU. uh, And NYU did a great job of educating me about all the other options that were out there. It's where I learned to write music and compose and um, work in the administrative side. So I think a student who's also really curious and flexible. Um, And then, you know, I think a lot of our peer institutions would say the same, but a really passionate student who's willing to do the work. A BFA program is a lot of work and they're going to throw a lot at you. Um, And it's not only that, it's also inside of an um, institution that's educational and research-based. So you also have the academic side of it and you're living in New York City, which (laughs) as we all know, can be a little bit of an overwhelming place sometimes. So a student who's really passionate and eager to do the work as well. I love that. And, you know, I love that you talk about the field of theater, because really, you mean the kind of the, the broader field of theater, maybe not specialize in only one thing. I don't want to just study acting or just singing and right. dancing. How would you say, you know, talk about curriculum, especially, and we'll get specific about curriculum with the studios, but how would you say compared to like a BA program, an audition-based BA program, where does NYU fall compared to like a, a true conservatory versus a BA program? Right. We're kind of that happy medium, right? We call it conservatory training inside of a research university. So basically what that means is you've got these three days of the week where you're in your studio training. You are falling headfirst into those acting courses, those music courses, those dance courses, movement, etc. And then you have these other two days of the week that we kind of dub academic days. So mm-hmm. that could look like a lot of different things, right? It could look like some general education courses. It's definitely going to look like a little bit of theater studies, which is a huge part of our curriculum here at Tish Drama, right? So the history of theater, practicum of theater, all those things. And then we have this great kind of elective space as well that could be filled in a numerous different ways, kind of extra artistic classes that you might want to take, but maybe in a different discipline, such as dance or photography or recorded music, or those elective classes can actually help you work towards a minor or a double major. Mm -hmm. So we kind of are that happy medium between your classic BA program or your very intensive conservatory program. And how common is a double major or, or a minor? Like, you know, a lot of conservatory style programs mm-hmm. say, yeah, minor's possible, but it might be a small percentage of the class that really does it and may be very rare sure. for a double major. How common is that at NYU? Of the 400 freshmen, how many might attempt uh, a double major? 
I would say at least half would attempt a minor for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And then double major, maybe closer to a quarter to a third. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the double majoring also, a lot of it comes down to time management, but it also comes down to what you might bring in as an incoming freshman. You know, so many of our applicants are bringing in AP, IB, or college level courses that'll help them work towards that. And if you don't have any of that, but you're really passionate about, you know, chemistry or journalism or something that you want to pursue, you may have to take an academic semester. So just a semester away from your conservatory studies to help achieve that. So sometimes it does require a little bit of sacrifice, um, but it is really popular. And our uh, professional advising staff works really hard to help students achieve those those goals if they want to come in with that. But minoring is a lot easier. It's less classes. So I would say a lot of our students do pursue the minor track. And Mm -hmm. there's just so many options when it comes to minors, whether it's within Tisch, within drama, or within NYU at large. And I love. I want to talk about those those different circles of of what NYU is, NYU Tisch, and then what is your little studio. Uh, you know, I do want to get into some of the specifics of the, the the studios and their curriculum. But what is cohesive in terms of if I'm an NYU Tisch student, in terms mm-hmm. of requirements, in terms of you talked about the three days a week versus the two days a week. When am I a Stone Street student versus when am I an NYU Tisch student? How does that work in terms of what is the larger umbrella and maybe the guidance toward what you need to take versus what's specific for each studio and each student? Sure. So yeah, just kind of breaking it down in really general terms with our curriculum, we really think of it as 50% artistic and 50% academic. And that 50% here, I've heard 50-50 before, but is not three days of the week, 60%. True. We say 50-50 because the actual amount of credits you're getting in theater <sighs> studies is another major in itself. Ah. So because yes, because of the three days a week, you might think it's 60-40, but actually the theater studies curriculum weighs that academic side a little heavier. You foiled me, Molly. You foiled me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so think about it as 50-50. You obviously have these three days a week, which for incoming freshmen are Tuesday, Thursdays, and Fridays. For the rest of the um, students are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mm-hmm. And those are all day, right? 9 a.m to 6 p.m. They're structured differently depending on studio, but those days are completely dedicated to studio training. Um, And that is how the first two years of your time at NYU is structured with these three days as studio and then these two days as academics. And they don't blend over really at all unless a student chooses to take a night class that might start at 7 p.m. after studio, which is aggressive, but students do it. Um, And then once you get past those first two years, which are really, really structured for you, um, that's what we call primary training. Then you transition into what's called advanced training in your last two years or your last year if you happen to be a transfer. Mm-hmm. And those last two years is really where all the possibilities at the university and in drama open up for you. And there's a ton of different kind of possibilities and pathways that you can take in those last two years. So that's where you could switch studios to either another primary training studio or you mentioned Stone Street. Stone Street and Classical are actually upper level training studios. Those are only available to juniors and seniors. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could do that as well. You could, as I mentioned earlier, take an academic semester. That's also where you could choose to study abroad, um, which is a great option as well. Um, Or you could do an internship. So there's a ton of different options. And we really like to think of advanced training more in semester-based rather than years. Mm -hmm. So we encourage our students, if they want, to really play around with all the different options to help them create kind of the most fulfilling four-year experience at NYU. Now, the upper-level student can range in regards to scheduling. Like for example, the classical studio only happens from one to six on weekdays every single day of the week. So you Mm -hmm. are getting a little bit of mix and match with that academia and that studio training. Um, But yeah, that's kind of a little bit about just the curriculum in general and how 
it's all kind of built together to create a cohesive ex- student experience. And is it always two years at the first studio and then you mix and match where the two more years somewhere else? Can you continue at that first studio if you want to? You can. It depends on the studio. Uh, most of our primary training studios have a four-year curriculum. So, for example, mm-hmm. in my time, I actually stayed at ETW the whole four years. Um, but certain studios will, may only have a three-year training, and then you will have to transfer to another studio for your fourth year. Um, but for the most part, yeah, staying in your studio is absolutely an option. We always call you know, your primary training studio home, and they're always mm-hmm. going to welcome you back with open arms no matter what. And we talked a little bit with Josh Sagara. This was a couple months ago now. Mm. Um, that he did a couple years at a studio and then didn't use his a studio at all his last year. He said he wanted to focus on academics because he was like, "I'm already getting acting jobs. This is my last chance to actually study academics, and I wanted to focus on that." Yeah, absolutely. So taking an academic semester is a really popular option for students, especially if you want a double major, or uh, there's also this kind of branch where you could study abroad, but not in theater, right? NYU Mm -hmm. is a global university. We have a million and one study abroad locations all over the world. And so if you're kind of thinking- It's not literally a million and one, right? That's your, that's (laughs) That would be a lot of locations. That would be a lot. But I mean- it is quite a few. Um, and so, you know, you could go abroad um, and just study academics and have a little bit more of a traditional abroad experience. Uh, whereas you could also then say, no, I want to go abroad and I want to continue the conservatory studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a couple very specific programs for that. Um, but yeah, so that academic portion is some of our students are very passionate about that. And they really want to take a semester or even a year to just focus on that after those first two years of primary training. And how does this work with like, I just imagine going to NYU, you would need a lot of guidance. Like I need a concierge or something. Like how does that help me through like, because it's it's so many choices. I think it's it's a a wonderful menu to go. I have so much to choose from. But how do you figure out I want to take maybe this minor with this studio and then I want to switch this thing and go here. How does a student, is that, are they just trained to kind of figure that out? Do they have academic advisors who are, have a strong hand in it? How does that work from, from a. Yeah. So every student is assigned an advisor uh, when they enter their freshman year. And it is, our staff is professional advisement staff, which means that is their full-time job is to advise these students. They're not Mm -hmm. also teaching or doing anything else. Um, And it's what's called a strategic advising model, which is all based on -on one-on-one meetings with each of our students students. And it's really centered around the question, what do you want to achieve in these four years? And where do you want to be when you graduate? And how can we help you achieve that? And so many of our students come wanting to do, you know, 15 different options while they're at NYU. And sometimes you can't always achieve all 15, but our Mm -hmm. advisor's job is to help you achieve as much as possible and to open your eyes to different options that you may not have known about or even really knew you were interested in when you came in. Um, And I think that's what's really special about our department as well is because there are so many options. And we are very untraditional that these advisors' job is to really make sure that all of the options are on the table for these students, that they know where the resources are, and that they know how to navigate all of this so that they don't get lost inside of all of that and not get the most out of their four years. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, and this seems like almost too much of a layup. I asked this of a lot of schools of kind of outside of the theater program, what does NYU offer a student? I'd love to kind of hear what are some examples of minors and double majors and different, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of the theater program, maybe especially that people have done uh, with NYU. Yeah, I would say one of the most popular minors, which I also actually minored in, is child and adolescent mental health studies within the psych department in the College of Arts and Sciences. A lot of uh, theater students find that they really gravitate towards that work. So that, I would say, is one of the most popular minors. We also have a really exciting minor that combines classes across specialized schools at NYU. Yeah, for those people that don't know, NYU has a ton of really specialized schools. So Tisch is just one of those. We also have Stern, which is business, Steinhardt, which is public health and education, Gallatin 
Bulletin, which is individualized study, a lot of different options. So this minor is called BEMT, which is the Business of Entertainment, Media and Technology. Hmm. And that combines classes between Stern, Steinhardt, and Tisch. All That's of another students, really students just heard BMT. That's all they heard. The B musical theater. That's what they heard. I just want to be clear. <laughs> Um, you know, so that's a great, that's a, another really popular option. Um, students like to tie that as well in with the producing minor that Tish has, which is also a really great minor. Mm -hmm. In regards to double majors, typically the ones that are most doable in your four years are going to live in the College of Arts and Sciences. And that's your, you know, your classic liberal arts college inside of NYU. So your Englishes, your histories, your social sciences, your life sciences. Um, languages tend to be a bit hard just because of the extra seminars that it might take. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of students who might double major in English. Uh, I had a couple colleagues of mine in undergrad double major in psychology. Uh, you know, things like that are some of the more popular minors. Um, students, a lot of students come to us interested in double majoring in theater and business. Uh, unfortunately, that is not possible because Stern is just as intense of a school as we are. Mm -hmm. um, and so in order to do that, you'd probably have to be at NYU for eight years. <laughs> um, but um, we do offer that BEMT minor as some sort of tie into the Stern curriculum if you're interested in business. Um, so that's just kind of a few of the ones that I know are most popular across the board. And then what about, you know, NYU is known also as such a great grad school, especially in theater, you know, sort of a, a really well-known yes. NYU grad acting, especially. Is there any interaction between the grad actors and the grad acting faculty and the undergrad actors at all? Literally none. Uh, we are very, very separate um, from that program. And our design program is also very separate from their design program. Hmm. And do you know, is that intentional? Is that for uh, any specific reason? I think they're just very different programs. You know, the grad acting program is so centralized on acting and acting in the industry and, and that kind of path. And although acting is a huge part of our curriculum and helping our students be successful in the industry is also a really important part of our curriculum. There's so much else that we're trying to teach our students. And our students are typically just at a very different stage in their lives than those mm -hmm. grad acting students. The majority of our students are incoming first years, coming straight out of high school. We also have transfers, but that's just a different kind of learning curve and path. Um, and our training, the way that it's structured with the studio training, again, just is very different from the grad acting training. So we try to keep those as separate as possible. Well, let's get into how studio placement works. So both, uh, I guess, how on our end, or I should say on your end, I, like I just put myself on NYU faculty with you, but on our <laughs> end, how we are going to be doing the placement. And then also if, as a student is looking at all these options, how, you know, how do I feel like I would find where I think I might fit at this place or how much choice am I going to have in that? Because it yeah. seems like as I'm applying, I'm going to click either all studios or musical theater only. Right. And so sure. how does if I do have a specific desire for Atlantic only or whatever, that's really mm. why I think I'm going to be a right fit. How does something like that work in terms of my placement and, and whether you think I'll be the right fit for Atlantic or you think I'll be a right fit for Stella Adler, et cetera? Yeah, so the studio placement process is uh, what everyone thinks is this giant mystery, and it has been compared to the Harry Potter sorting hat too many <laughs> times for me to count. Um, but it is not a huge mystery. It is a carefully curated process done by a robust committee that has been doing this for years that really aims at finding the best place for each of our students to grow in their first two years. And so that looks like a lot of different things. The first thing I'll talk about is what is taken into consideration with studio placement, right? What are these students offering us and how are we 
we picking where they're going to land? The first part of that is the material that they choose to do for us in the artistic review, right? We are hoping that you're choosing material. And we're encouraging students to choose material that they're passionate about. And that says a lot about you as an artist. And then it's also, of course, about the execution of the material. What are the strong points of the material? Maybe your physicality was really strong, but your storytelling needed work, kind of those pieces. And then we have this great part of the artistic review process. That's the conversation portion, which mm -hmm. is at least half, if not more, a part of the of the artistic review process for us when looking at students. And we might call and it the, the interview portion. You're going to call it a conversation, which is a better word for it. I agree. But yes. that's, some we, people well, might think like of that as an interview. Yes, we like to structure it in a, in a way that doesn't feel formal. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just talking to you as, as this is, this informal conversation, learning about somebody. No, you're being um, interviewed. And so you may not know it, but this is an interview. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that conversation portion, um, it is really about who you are, not only as an artist, but as a person and what you're interested in, uh, what you want to work on, where you see yourself in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's also a part of that, uh, that conversation that's structured around, have you done research about the studio system? Mm -hmm. And if you have, what are your thoughts? Um, because we're not just going to sit here and completely discount a student who's done their research and is really passionate about Adler, about Atlantic, right? We want to know those things. And that's absolutely going to be taken into consideration. And so then there's a part of the evaluation process on the evaluator faculty side, where they actually make recommendations uh, about what studio they think this, this student should be placed in based on all of those factors. And then those recommendations are all taken into consideration when this committee meets uh, in the during the month of May, it's happening as we speak, um, and to, to make all of those decisions. And it's, it's something that's important to understand and something that I had a really, you know, unique experience about because I've been a student is a lot of our students think they know where they want to be because mm -hmm. they want to go where their strengths lie, which is totally normal, right? I understand that. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be in the new studio on Broadway because I had only ever grown up doing musical theater. Mm -hmm. But this, not only our evaluating faculty, but also this committee are really good at seeing where your strengths lie and then where your weaknesses lie and picking a place where yeah, you're going to come in with some comfort, but you're also going to come in with some discomfort and you're going to mm -hmm. have to do some relearning because this whole idea of the field is not always something that high schools are introducing to students in their, you know, musical every year, right? Um, and so I think that that's really important to understand because when I got my studio placement, when I was 17 years old, I was traumatized. I was like, what is the experimental theater wing? I just want to tap dance, you know, but I got there and I really, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I learned kind of looking back at it that, you know, I'm a really physical person. I talk with my whole body, right? That was my strength. And so those are you ETW, right now, Molly is dancing right now. Her hands are in a full jazz hand. It's very impressive. Yes. Um, you know, and that was my strength, but my weakness is that I overthink everything. I'm a huge, I, I just, I could never kind of be instinctual um, in those moments in a scene or in a monologue. And so I was put in a studio that's a physical based acting studio. So it was a strength of mine that I love to move, but it also got me out of my head. I spent a whole you know semester not doing any scene work and I was going crazy because I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. But what it really helped me do was learn who I was as an actor in my body before I introduced the kind of more headiness to, to the craft. So I think that that's something that is really important for our applicants to understand is if you have passions about the studio, we want to know, and those will absolutely be taken into consideration. But there's also a world in which you don't get placed in that place. And it's not always a bad thing. Yep. Not to mention, you're only really there for two years. So unlike a lot of our peer institutions where you're kind of siloed into one thing for four years, that's not us. You could absolutely audition and transfer into the musical theater studio after your first two years. Um, so yeah, so just kind of some things to consider with studio placement. And it sounds not to overly 
parse the Harry Potter analogy, but it sounds like <laughs> Harry saying he wanted Gryffindor didn't hurt him necessarily. Sometimes that even just the knowledge of that may actually, especially maybe if it's not New Studio and Broadway, which we'll talk about that specifically, but it seems like if you have a specific dream that might at least inform if it's between Absolutely. Two of them. Yeah, yeah. And we actually really encourage our students and our applicants to research the studio system. Yeah. Um, our website has curriculums for all of them. Um, you can reach out directly to studios. You know, many of our applicants come in not really knowing. And I think that's also where students get a little bit in trouble as they just kind of know, oh, I've heard this about this studio. I've heard that about that studio, right. you know, and instead do the research and come to the artistic review with knowledge of what you're passionate about and interested in, because that's also going to just help you in general within our artistic review process. And now using the word artistic review, like you use conversation that you mean audition by that, right? I do. Yes. These are we fancy call... words, Molly. You're giving me fancy words for all of these things. You know, we, we like to think of it as an artistic review because it's not just an audition. For sure. Um, again, because of that conversation portion or interview, however you want to phrase it. Yes, our language is artistic review, but you could easily sub that with the word audition. We'll just call it a rehearsal because we're just here practicing. We're just having a good time. <laughs> there we go. No, I, I want to talk about um, the probably the most common question, especially that our musical theater students have. If they are very interested in NYU, let's say NYU is top two, three on their list. They really want NYU, but they also really want musical theater. Mm -hmm. How do you suggest navigating that all studios versus NSB only yeah. when they're making that decision of going, basically the, the big question I get asked a lot is, are they hurting their chances by checking mm. all if are they hurting their chances for a new studio on Broadway, even though they know they're mm. definitely helping their chances to get into NYU, opening up more options. But if they're sort of navigating, I want to get into NYU, but I really do want new studio on Broadway. Should you sure. check that box or should you, should you check the all studios and see what happens? Yeah, that's a good question. And we get that question a lot as well. And the first thing I'll say is by choosing all studios as a musical theater applicant, you are never hurting your chances to be in the new studio on Broadway. You are applying as a musical theater applicant. Mm -hmm. So that means that is your first choice. So no matter what, if you choose all studios, you will first and always be considered for the new studio on Broadway. And if you are the right fit for that studio, you will be placed there. Mm -hmm. The all studios option is just saying, okay, so if you're not the right fit for that studio, for whatever reason, there are six other acting studios that are great options as well that she might flourish in, right? And then that musical theater only option really is for the student who, as much as they love NYU, if they're not going to be happy, not tap dancing, taking ballet classes, mm -hmm. doing the full musical theater experience for their first two years, then they should choose musical theater only. Um, you know, and we really message that. And there's no, again, you're not being looked at, oh, that student didn't want the rest of our studios. That's also not how we're looking mm -hmm. at it. Those are students who really understand and know that this is what they're going to be happy doing. Um, and I think it's also important to remember that the studio placement process itself actually happens after you deposit to come yes, to NYU. Next question, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 And we'll get it's, into that, right? It used to be the case, right? So that's a change. I don't Correct. know if that happened right before your tenure or right as you were it joining. It was during. It was ago, during right? my time at, at when at, in, on the staff at NYU. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the the big reasons for that is uh, the first is that in years past we would you know admit closer to five to six hundred students, and then of course with the melt as we call it, it comes down to that 350 to 400 number. Melt is your fancy word for yield, right? Now I'm catching Correct. all your words. Yes. Okay, we've got it's like only, of course, it's melt. NYU. We have all these fancy words. Mm -hmm. You're on <laughs> But um, yeah, so that with, we'd be doing the studio placement system with uh, these like 600 kits and we would place all of them and then the melt or yield would happen. And then that all of that work, which is very 
curated to make sure the size is correct and uh-huh. we're, we're making sure, you know, female to male, um, you know, whatever gender representation you have that we're, we're really finessing with that. We're finessing. We want to make sure students have diverse experiences across the board in each studio and all this perfect work would be done and then it would all go away mm-hmm. <laughs> because we would have the yield that would happen and many students would choose to go elsewhere mm-hmm. as they should, right? Pick your right place. And so then it was, had to happen all over again. So there was that part of it. And then the other part of it is our messaging across the board for our applicants and any prospective students at NYU is that the goal should be Tisch drama. Our department is robust. It has so many different arms. It has so many different options that the goal should be to come and study at Tisch drama and that your studio is just a part of that place, right? Mm -hmm. It is a big part of your journey, of course, and it's a pathway to a certain goal, but it's not that you're going to be there for four years if you don't want. There's so many other options. And because we're educating you about the field, we want that to be what's exciting to you, not just Adler at NYU, because Uh if that's the case, then maybe you should just go to their professional studio, which is also amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's also a big part of why we changed that system. But for a musical theater student who is all studios, who might be sitting there getting their admittance on April 1st and then going, I don't know what studio I'm in and I have Mm -hmm. to commit to NYU and I really just wanted to be in new studio, that's stressful. So Mm -hmm. for that student, I would say choose musical theater only if that's really what you want, if that's your passion. Uh, So that's kind of how I navigate that question. And I bet there are fewer non-musical acting students who have that strong of an opinion, but do you sometimes encounter someone who who has the same feeling where they go, I really want Adler and I really, and, and I want to say yes, but if it's going to be experimental theater, I'm, I'm enough not into that that I might want to go to this other school. Do they have any recourse? Do they have any way of getting a little like wink, wink? You're probably going to be, or do you just sort of have to take the chance? You have to take the chance. And, but I will say this. I will say that if you're incredibly passionate about a studio and you're able to articulate why you're passionate about that studio and it's not just, oh, my friend was in it and I heard it was really cool, right, that you've done your research um, and you can kind of make a case for why that studio is a great place for you, your evaluator is going to receive that. And mm-hmm. I would say on the back end, nine times out of ten, they're going to probably agree with you if you're able to to kind of contribute that. And so not only will that be we have a place in our system that says student recommendation as in what they want to do, but that might also be under the the evaluator recommendation. So it is definitely taken into consideration. And, and unless there's a very specific reason why an evaluator feels like, okay, this student is, does not know what they need or what they want, um, then that might change. But absolutely, if you're incredibly passionate about that, then you should totally express that. It's not a guarantee, but it will help. Absolutely. Well, and then tell me a little bit about, especially for the musical theater students, um, the difference between, they, they have kind of two musical theater options at NYU. They have the new studio on Broadway as part of Tisch, and they also have NYU Steinhardt. What mm-hmm. makes uh, one right for another? What, what maybe the differences between an NYU Steinhardt and a NYU Tisch new studio on Broadway? Sure. So the first thing is that the Steinhardt program lives in the uh, vocal performance area. So what that means is that their musical theater program is very heavily focused on the singing acting portion of musical theater. Our musical theater program is very equally distributed between acting, singing, and dance. Dance is a really big part of our curriculum, which I know separates us from a couple other peer institutions. Um, So that's kind of the first difference. The second difference is the size. Our incoming class at New Studio on Broadway ranges between 55 to 65 students a year, which is big for a musical theater program. Mm -hmm. You're, of course, separated into sections. Your class sizes are still very small. But in regards to an incoming musical theater class, that's on the larger side. Steinhardt's is definitely going to be smaller than that. 
I don't know their exact numbers, but I would say it's at the very least half of that size. Mm-hmm. So it's also taking into consideration how comfortable do you feel with size of program, which is a big choice that students have to think about in their application journey. So those are kind of the two main differences between our program. For more in-depth details, I would recommend students reaching out to Steinhardt directly. Yeah. And we almost certainly will have an NYU sign or representative on the pod oh, as well. Perfect. We just there wanted we to give a little <laughs> bit of that, um, how to navigate that too. And I did, that size question is so important with NYU, especially mm-hmm. because it's like you have the larger MT class, but also your larger Tisch class, which is, and then, mm-hmm. you know, the school itself, which is large. So, yeah. you know, if you're not ready, to, some of these compared to conservatories where you have 18 total people in your class and a tiny school around you, it's it's yes. a very different experience as you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, what about with New Studio on Broadway? Do you know how like dance classes work? You mentioned that dance is really important. Do you know how it works in terms of if I'm coming in as a freshman and I'm a super advanced dancer, am I jumping up ahead to higher level classes or do I start at a, sort of a base level and then work my way up from there? Yeah, so the first kind of part of that actually starts with the dance call. So a lot of students think when they audition for us um, and they do their dance portion that that's what's going to be, that's where they're going to be placed if they're in new studio. That's not true. Our dance call is not the dance placement. The dance placement actually occurs when you come to NYU in the fall. There is a dance placement that the new studio conducts, and that is what eventually kind of lands where students go in regards to uh, difficulty of dance. So there are, you know, there is very advanced, you know, medium, and then beginner. We have options for everybody. I always say you don't need to be Misty Copeland to succeed in this studio on Broadway. Uh, We really want to see you kind of storytelling through your body. So there's place for everyone. Um, And then the dance classes, New Studio is great within their dance repertoire because they really expose students to all different types of dance. So it's not like you're only going to study ballet your first year and then you're only going to study jazz your second year. Um, They really, they bring in elements of Latin dance. They bring in elements of tap, jazz, ballet, Broadway, obviously kind of styles, contemporary, um, Afro-Haitian, you know, a lot of different options uh, for our students. And they, the, the way that their classes are structured is they're just shorter classes throughout the day. So some new studio students might have two to three dance classes in a day in all different styles. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm an acting major, I, I checked all studios and I don't want new studio on Broadway. Maybe I really want to study at non-musical acting more than uh, musical theater, but I am empty curious. I am interested in mm. keeping my voice up or maybe I do want to take a dance class or two. How does that work? Is it possible to be at Stella Adler and still get some musical training? Absolutely. So this is something that I can talk for years about because I did this. Um, Mm -hmm. This was me as a student. Um, So the first thing I say to students who might land in an acting studio but are very passionate about musical theater is come and see what your studio offers. Every acting studio has a voice and a movement component as a part of their training. And that can look like a lot of different things. For many studios, for example, for years at Strasbourg, I'm not 100% sure if it's still this way, but their whole first year movement was ballet. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you're coming and you're going, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm kind of already getting my dance training, right? So what am I missing? I'm missing voice. And you can take private voice lessons both through the Tisch Open Arts curriculum or through Steinhardt um, as an elective. So you have that option as well. Um, so I always say, see what your studio has to offer and then plug in what you're missing from there because your studio could have, I mean, ETW, I had a musical theater voice class my junior year. So I wasn't missing that and I wanted mm-hmm. more dance. So I did an open arts dance class. Um, so there is that flexibility. And then furthermore, in regards to performance, you cannot audition for a musical that is only put on for the new studio on Broadway students, but you can audition for Tish Drama Stage Productions, which are for the whole uh, undergraduate class. And they mm-hmm. do a musical every year. Um, your studio may put on a musical. I know ETW did. I know Strasbourg does. That's where you know Spring Awakening and Atlantic, You know all these other places that do also have students who are very musical. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then there's student written productions, student produced productions, and club productions that also do musicals that you can also audition for. So after my freshman year, I was in a musical every single year at NYU without ever being in the new studio on Broadway. So it does give you that flexibility, which is also a unique part of our program. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, from senior year to beyond. How do you mm. prepare students for kind of the launch into the business? So you mentioned, you know, the freshmen may come in a slightly different place than the grad students, but if they are going to be launched into the business, you know, to be mm -hmm. actors for many of them who that is going to be the goal or, you know, to be yes. in the theater world, how does that work and how do you kind of uh, help prepare them for the business? Yeah, so we're pretty fortunate that probably about five or six years ago, we started our own career development office within Tisch Drama. Before that, it was just the Tisch Career Development Office, which is obviously very helpful to us, and then the NYU Career Services. But we have an, our own office that's just dedicated to our drama students. Um, and that office has kind of several different arms, ranging from specific workshops that are centered around feedback from students and alumni about things they feel like they might not be getting in studio. For example, um, one of the ones that I really love is the Financial Empowerment Workshop, which brings people in the industry uh, who are both in the you know, performance side or the kind of talent side, but also people who do those people's taxes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how do you file for taxes when you're working in six different states in a year? Um, you know, and how, what does it mean to be financially stable as an artist in this world? Um, and so because of that, um, that, that's kind of the workshop side of things. Then we have um, obviously office hours and you can come in and talk about whatever you need to, headshot, resume, summer stock, etc. Then we have a really unique part of our career development office that is specifically geared towards a really um, finite connection between the undergraduate population and the professional world, kind of centered around one subject matter. And we call mm -hmm. these things lab courses. Um, the first one that was created was in partnership with Bryce Dallas Howard and her production company. And it was really centered on what it means to be a multi-hyphenate artist in the industry. Um, and so not only did students work with her and her production company specifically, but she worked with them to help define a project and kind of a definition of what their multi-hyphenate artistry might look like. Um, and obviously you're making direct connections with the industry through that option as well. And then um, finally, obviously, industry exposure. We get this question all mm -hmm. the time. Um, as we talked about earlier, our uh, graduating classes are quite large. Uh, so therefore, we don't have a traditional showcase system like many of our peer institutions have. Um, we kind of looked at that and thought, how are we going to be able to showcase our students when we're graduating possibly, you know, 350 actors a year? Mm -hmm. Well, we decided why not showcase them their whole time at NYU? We are in New York City, right? Theater capital of the world, in my opinion. So that is, we got to use that to our advantage. So what we do is we invite casting directors, agents, producers, etc., to view our Tish Drama stage shows. Um, so basically, your whole time at NYU, you're getting that exposure. And then furthermore, our career development office works directly with each studio to kind of implement that career development mindset from their first year. So it's working through all four years. And then when they reach that fourth year kind of penultimate moment, what is that studio doing to help support their students? And that could look like a lot of different things. For example, in the experimental theater wing, we have what's called the independent project uh, route, which is where you can write, direct, star in, and produce your own 45 minute to an hour show. Mm -hmm. You get a faculty or professional advisor, and then they help you navigate. How do you market this? How do you invite people to this? How do you get this out there? Um, or you've got the new studio on Broadway who typically produces a show with their senior class and they invite people to that. So it really is exposure on all different levels when it comes to industry. And how does that work with, so that means theoretically I could be a sophomore in a mm -hmm. great show 
and I'm a media agent, a media casting director, they love me. How does that yeah. work with NYU in terms of if someone then says, I want you to audition for this Broadway show, I want you to audition for the soft Broadway show. Yes. Are you able to get class credit? How do you work around if someone says, "I maybe I want to start working a little bit? Sure. So the first thing that kind of happens is, well, I would say the NYU protocol for auditioning is if you don't miss class, you're okay. Mm -hmm. As an alum, I will say that that's also going to vary slightly between faculty member, between class. There are certain teachers I had who, if I talked to them, they were like, not a problem. You can make up the work. Go to this. It's a big opportunity. Mm -hmm. There are others that feel you're at an educational institution. You're here for school. You should be in class. So that's kind of the first level of what that looks like. Then if you go ahead and you book something, there's a conversation that begins between you and your people, your immediate family, as well as your advisor, typically sometimes the head of your studio. And it's all centered around what's the best choice for you in your career right now, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a bunch of group of friends of yours are doing Midnight, Midnight Summer's Dream in the park, that might be something you could do after you graduate. Mm -hmm. If you just booked Zoe and Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway, that might be a, the, the next step for you in your career. Mm -hmm. And once a decision has been made and you'd make the choice whether you'd like to pursue this or not, then it goes to uh, the Dean of Student Affairs and they give it the seal of approval or not. And if you get the seal of approval, you are invited to finish your studies at NYU. If you do not get the seal of approval, you may not be allowed to come back and finish your studies. Uh -huh. Yeah, so that's kind of how, when it comes to the institution, how they view it. And you're saying they're going to look down on Shakespeare the way you do about Shakespeare's nothing, <laughs> only Dear Evan Hansen counts. Unbelievable. That's a, there's the, the musical theater kid. No, in of course not. We see it coming. Um, I, I often ask uh, schools kind of what's the best kept secret about your school. I feel like with NYU, mm -hmm. certainly if you think there is a best kept secret, I'm throw it out there. I also would be interested in like, is, is there a piece of misinformation that's like a, a misunderstood? I feel like there's so much information you know, about NYU. Is there something that when you're talking with a prospective student, prospective family, that you go, oh, wow, you have this pretty wrong, or, or I wish you understood this. You, you got this, but you misunderstood how it actually applies. Is there some place where people don't understand NYU as well as you wish they did? Uh, I think one of the things that came like first to mind when you mentioned that is, you know, a lot of people think uh, that we have a pre-screen program and that we do mm. callbacks. We don't. Um, at this moment, we don't have that. We see every single few, student. One of the few very One of the few. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons why is because we tend to be grouped with other peer institutions who primarily all have pre-screen programs. Um, and so I get that question a lot. Um, and so that's something that's really important to understand is that we definitely at this moment do not have a pre-screen program for any discipline mm -hmm. and we don't have a callback system. So that means if you are able to schedule your artistic review by the deadline, you will be seen. Yes, that means we see almost 3000 kids a year, um, but it, that's we that's kind of equitable for us. We want to see everybody as long as you're in by the deadlines. We want to see you. Um, so that's kind of the first thing. And I think the other thing is, you know, NYU is such a massive institution and it can, you know, I, when I talk to students and even when I was applying, it felt like this insurmountable mountain, right? And it felt... Um, so bureaucratic and, and it didn't feel personalized. And I think we work really hard in, in our admissions team and also as a part of the artistic review process to humanize not just the school, but our program. Um, and that we are students of any kind of background, any talent level, really any experience level, especially are welcome to come audition for us and to be a part of our journey. I mean, I had students that I was in school with that had just started acting their junior year of high school, whereas mm -hmm. I was doing musicals when I was seven. So, mm -hmm. you know, completely different background of, of students. And I think that that's what makes our school a really exciting and diverse place to study is because we have this wonderful opportunity to not cast a class. We're not accepting 16 students and looking at casting the next four years of shows off those 16 students. Mm -hmm. We are 
bringing in a class of theater makers, of actors, of passionate artists who are are from all different backgrounds and stories. And I think that that's something to remember when you're looking at this insurmountable mountain that is an NYU. I love it. All right, let us take a short break. And on the back end, we'll talk a little bit about the NYU audition process. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We are back with Molly Haran from NYU. And we're going to talk about this beast of an audition. So you mentioned 3,000 students, which you know, that's a big reason a lot of those peer institutions, those peer institutions end up pre-screening is so they don't have to see yeah. 3,000 live auditions. <laughs> so first, can we, before we talk about what makes a good audition, can we just talk about how the audition process works with how do mm-hmm. you see so many different students all live? And how does that work? You know, some schools we would have to have, have on the person, if there's one person who auditions everyone. It seems at NYU that's not how it works. It's not that there's one person who auditions everyone. How do you split it up and how does that all work? Sure. So it all starts with the Common App, uh, much like many of our peer institutions. And then once you submit the Common App, you'll get a personalized link to what we call the Drama Artistic Review Portal. Uh, And that is kind of the one-stop shop for all drama applicants. It just includes more information about you, more information about the material and the discipline you're going to audition for, um, as well as scheduling your artistic review and paying for your artistic review. And then, of course, uploading any digital materials. That's kind of step two. And then step three is to come join us. And it all centers around decision period and discipline are kind of the two areas that help us see all of these students. So first I'll touch on decision periods. So we have five different decision periods, uh, three for incoming fresh people. We have early decision one, uh, which falls on that kind of November 1st common app deadline. And then those artistic reviews will take place in early November, typically before the Thanksgiving break. Their notification date is early December. That decision period, along with early decision two, which I'll mention in a moment, are binding decision periods, which means if you're accepted, you're legally bound to attend New York University. Mm -hmm. Early decision two centers around a January 1st common app deadline. Um, Those artistic reviews take place in early January. Those students are notified in early February. Again, a binding decision. Then we have regular decision, which is where a majority of our applicants are auditioning. Not again as this year fell on January 5th common app deadline. Those artistic reviews span the entire month of January and February. And that is, of course, in years past when we were all able to be in person. We had artistic reviews in New York, also on tour in several different locations, as well as uh, digitally as two. Um, we don't travel for early decision one or two. 
And then we have two decision periods for transfer students who make up a good chunk of our incoming class. We love transfer students. They help make this an interesting place to study. So we have internal uh, transfers, which are current NYU students who might be somewhere else at the university who want to join us. That's a March 1st Common App deadline. And those artistic reviews take place uh, in early to mid-March. They find out in early to mid-April. And then external transfers who are students from other universities who want to join us. That Common App deadline is April 1st. Those artistic reviews happen in early April, and they're typically notified in early May. Um, of course, regular decision, that notification date falls, which with many of our peer institutions, which is April 1st, typically. Mm -hmm. So that's when you can come see us. And that's how that's all split up. And then the second part of this is discipline, which is what discipline do you want to audition for? And the options are acting, musical theater, directing, or production and design. And each of those disciplines has a very different set of guidelines um, that are all on our website. We message them very frequently. Um, that is what to prepare, right? The monologue the song selections, the portfolio, etc. Um, and so once you've kind of narrowed all that down, that's kind of where you fit in. Uh, and that's kind of how it's all structured. Um, and we have a staff of a little over 60 faculty members who mm -hmm. are a part of this. And it's part of my job to not only set the schedule and organize all of what I just broke down, but also to schedule all of them to make mm -hmm. sure that we always have a full staff to see all of our students. And then the last piece I'll kind of just put in there is many of our peer institutions do schedule the appointment times. We do session times, which is also what allows us to see so many applicants. Mm -hmm. So we could see up to possibly 50 students in a session. We'll always have a morning session and an afternoon session. And then the students are parsed and separated with a very complicated system from there. And how does it work with so many different auditors and, you know, imagine pretty different audition experiences in terms of just mm -hmm. different styles. And how, are they given a checklist or how do you come to a unified, comprehensive decision if you're having mm -hmm. guest auditors and you're having faculty, you know, that how, how yeah. does that work where, you know, because I, I know with other schools, even if it's multiple faculty, often if it's three or four, they're all going to see before they get in, they're going to pass them to another one and or two are going to make a decision. You know, it's often a, a smaller total number that are going to see each of the students. There must be something numerical going on if you're going to try to get from 60 to Absolutely. We have we have an internal system. I can't tell all of our secrets, but we have an internal system. That Come on, is spill the juice. <laughs> Let it go. Break that tea. <laughs> in, in that we, our evaluators know kind of what each of those numerical values mean for us internally. Um, we do trainings every year with our evaluating staff because, you know, how we're looking at our program and the messaging of our program changes each year. You know, for example, we've already heard from some of our production staff that they want to relook at what that means. So we will go over the summer during this time, relook at that, make sure everybody's on the same page uh, and move on from there. And I think a big part of it as well is to really make sure that all of our evaluators are either current faculty, past faculty, adjunct faculty, and if they are an independent evaluator, that they have an affiliation with the university, a close mm -hmm. affiliation with the university, so that they understand kind of the ethos of what a Tish drama student is and the successful, what a successful Tish drama student looks like. Um, you know, people who don't have that kind of affiliation with the university aren't going to be very helpful when making those decisions. Um, and the other thing that I think is a little bit unique about our program is that the artistic decision is only 50% of the decision. Mm -hmm. So where in some other schools, right, if it's an amazing, a student we really, really want and they don't have great grades, it won't matter because they'll accept them. We are not that school. So we take all of our uh, information that we have on our students at the end of each decision period that gets sent over to the central admissions office and then they get, get to decide academically if that student is viable. So kind of the way that I like to think about it is if it's, a, you know, two computer screens and you have our number on one and their number on another, if it's kind of a green light on both screens, it's an admitted student. 
Uh-huh. If it's a red on either screen, it's a no to the department. And if it's, you know, an orange, yellow, it might be a wait list. But they do have to be viable equally in both categories. And both places go to a numerical value. So you're going to take my grades mm-hmm. and SATs. If SATs are considered, it seems like maybe that's optional right now. Essays, you're going to put that all into a super score, an academic super score and an artistic super score. And those two are going to generate that light, the green, yellow. Basically, yeah. I mean, there's some, you know, there. it's not totally just the number. There is some conversations that happen where it's like this student has this kind of going for them here and they might have this going for them there. And, uh-huh. and let's have a discussion about it. And I can't speak directly to kind of the process of the central admissions office because we I never look at an application. So I have no idea all kind of the, the millions of formulas they have over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, at the end of the day, it does kind of come down to that kind of green, yellow, or red area. You can't speak to their light and you won't speak to your light, is what you're saying. You won't tell (laughs) us the secrets. Um, You mentioned um, early decision. I think it's another way where NYU is not unique, but is certainly rare in that the musical Mm -hmm. theater world, most people do not end up applying early decision to a musical theater Mm -hmm. school, that it's uncommon um, to have that as an option. I think another question I get a lot is like, how much of a boost is it for me if I'm, you know, academically or artistically or in the total number, you know, if you, I don't know if you can tell me it's by a point or by whatever, you know, but how much am I helped by doing early decision um, with NYU? Let's say specifically I want musical theater. Yeah, I would say the, you know, we don't give out acceptance rates because they change a lot each year to year. Also, just because we have such a vast number of applicants. Um, but I will say this early decision, the acceptance rate is tends to be higher. The main reason behind that is because it is less applicants, right? Instead of 2,000 students, it's maybe 290 students who are auditioning in that decision period. I will also say that as an institution, NYU has definitely put more, for lack of a better word, umph behind early decision uh, for their own reasons. Uh, But I definitely think if you are incredibly passionate about attending New York University, go for early decision. Um, Don't think twice about it. Send it and, you know, really show your passion about this program. That being said, it is binding. So because of that, if you are at all on the fence about coming to NYU and you get in, you have to come. Mm -hmm. So it's not early. It's different than early action, which a lot of other schools have, which Mm -hmm. means you still have choices. You don't you're not bound to come to the school. Um, So that's kind of the the caveat there is is if you really wouldn't want to come. Absolutely audition early decision. If you're still on the fence, which as I said, many of our students audition regular decision. I mean, I think it's just more common with theater schools. There are so many amazing programs out there these days that students want equity, they want choice. Um, and so because of that, much, I mean, as I said, 2,000 of the 3,000 are auditioning regular decision. Mm-hmm. Totally makes sense. And okay, so let's get into that artistic audition a little bit. So, you know, when, or I'm sorry, the artistic review, I'm going to use your words. <laughs> they're good. I didn't mean to mock them. They're very good words. Um, if I'm walking into my artistic review, what makes a great artistic review for NYU? What, what should I be bringing mm-hmm. into the room to those 60 mm-hmm. um, auditors? I would say passion, excitement, um, you know, a few things that are very straightforward. Memorize your monologues, memorize your monologues. Even if you're doing an audition on Zoom, we can tell if your monologues are not memorized. (laughs) Please memorize your monologues. Yes. And not only memorize your monologues, but read the plays that they're from. Know the context of what you're talking about and be able to speak to why you chose this material. You know, choosing material that you're passionate about is something that I didn't really understand until someone sat me down in high school and was like, you're going to read 50 plays and you're going to find a character and a storyline that you like, and then we'll center it down from there. Um, So, you know, work that you're passionate about. I would say also just being, because of that conversation portion, being able to speak to your love of theater. I think that 
in, I can speak for myself in high school, I was very fortunate to be able to see a lot of theater, but I didn't always know how to articulate my love of that theater, that feeling that when the curtain goes up, those butterflies you feel in the audience, because you just love it so much. Mm-hmm. And being able to have conversations like that with your teachers, with your peers, and being able to articulate that is really important for us because we are looking for students who have an understanding of why they want to be here because that's how also we know that you're willing to do the work because you can articulate your passion about this. Um, and I think those students really stand out as well. Mm. Um, are there, other than maybe reading your monologue, are there any kind of red flags that when a student walks into um, an NYU audition where you go, oh, this might not be the right fit because I'm seeing mm. this from the student and it's just, that's, I'm going to go, that's not an NYU student. Um, yeah, obviously lack of preparation, but I also think lack of understanding of the program itself. Um, you know, we have a lot of students who just don't do the research on the program. Mm-hmm. And because we're grouped with a lot of institutions who have many similarities, a lot of things are assumed. Um, and I think, you know, students that come in understanding our program and being excited about kind of our whole mission statement, which is studying the field of theater and that, that level of curiosity, that's really intriguing to us as a program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the students Students who are going to be leaders in those studios that may not be the best actor in the room, but are really excited and passionate to explore the field and to learn new things. Um, and students who are really kind of very coached, very um, kind of small minded about what they want. They want this one thing Then we're just not the right program for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are a lot of really other amazing programs that are for you, but we just aren't that program. And so I think that's also something to think about, especially with students who are studying at programs to help them prepare for auditions. For us, it's so much more the kind of the level of humanism. Like if you mess up your monologue, it's okay. You can mm-hmm. start again, right? It's a high stakes, high nerves situation. And we understand that. Um, and we're also might want to work with you in that moment. So only being able to do your work one way because this is how you were taught that's also a red flag for us Mm -hmm. be able to work with us and and have a little fun and mess up like that's a part of it taking risks is a huge part of theater and so is being impulsive so that's a part of our process as well I love it. And let's talk about the conversation because I do think that's another, I keep bringing up all these unique or um, at least exceptional um, aspects of the NYU process. You know, other programs certainly do interviews or do conversations, but I think NYU is, is thought of as one where there's a, it's a big part of the audition process. It's a big part of the review process is yes. often a longer conversation that might actually really sit you down. And rather than a couple of questions, it might, some people will yeah. say I was in there for 20 minutes, I was in there for 30 minutes, <laughs> which is a little yeah. less likely at, a, at another program. Could happen, sure. but, but I think is, is, you know, a little bit unique to NYU. Um, but so tell me sort of what we're looking for. You know, obviously I, we all agree that we don't want to come in with coach dancers or anything like that, but is there anything mm-hmm. that you kind of are looking for from the conversation process? Um, open-mindedness. I think it's, you know, students sometimes are very surprised when they get asked questions like, what's your favorite book? You know, things that are not related to theater. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I think in, personally, I think in order to be a, a good actor, you have to be a, you know, a well, well-read, interesting, excited human, right? And a person. And I think learning about you as a person is a, is a big part of that conversation. It's not just about the work that you like to do and the type of theater that you've done in the past. And that's a part of it. Absolutely. But it's also about who you are as a person. Um, And I think a big part of it too is, you know, workability and enjoyability in a classroom. And when you can have an an intelligent and exciting conversation with a student, that's a student that we want to work with in the classroom. Um, And so I think, I think that's, that's interesting as well. I also think it's a space for students who, may not have had years of experience, may not have been able to afford an audition coach or tour schools or for whatever reason. And that's a place for students who 
can talk about why they love theater and what it is about this craft that at times feels incredibly competitive and unattainable that keeps drawing them back. You know, I, I remember a, a student from many years back who um, I had a conversation with an evaluator about him and he came from a very small town and didn't have a lot of experience. And, you know, the first interaction of the monologues was kind of like, all right, definitely not kind of really not in the ballpark. And then mm-hmm. they sat down and they started speaking about they in this tiny town, they have no theaters, their school doesn't really read plays. And they started this theater company in their small town. And it started exposing people to the wonderful world of theater that we all love. And this evaluator just said, this student, I mean, oh my gosh, I feel like they could change the world. And that's that student, that student can learn actions, they can learn beats, they can they can start to understand the, the, the crafts of acting because they really haven't had a chance to. So we want to give them this chance, but in the classroom and in that studio, they're going to be the one who's going to work the hardest. They're going to want it the most. Um, And I think that that's also something that that conversation portion really allows for. I was sure the end of the story is like, and that was Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh my gosh. Who, what? Now I want to know that student's name. Now you got me excited. Um, And how, how does that conversation work in terms of, is that always the auditor who is doing the artistic audition or the artistic review Mm. who then does the conversation? It is always the acting evaluator. So for uh, for an acting only audition, you're only seeing one evaluator. You're going to do your monologues, then you're going to have that conversation. If you're musical theater, uh, you have acting, that's monologues, conversation, singing, which is with a completely different evaluator, mm-hmm. and dance, which is with a completely different evaluator. And then for directing and production and design, you will have your kind of portfolio presentation along with that conversation with the same person. And again, not to make you spill too much of the secret sauce, but for the <laughs> musical theater audition... Mm-hmm. Do you know how the dance, singing, and acting are? Are they weighted evenly? Are they? Do you come up with a holistic score? Let's say I'm a great singer, but I'm not the strongest dancer. You know, how does that work in terms of my super score? Mm-hmm. Or how that works as you come yeah, together? Yeah, it's to that pretty equally weighted because New Studio has made it very clear to our office that all three are very important to them, um, and so we they do have to be you know what we call viable or green zoned um, for all three areas, mm-hmm. um, which is very important to us. Um, but at the end of the day, which I believe you know, new studio would agree with me with is that although it is a musical theater studio, it is teaching students to act. So that acting score is also very important. Mm -hmm. So if anything might be weighted slightly heavier, it it, it would probably be that acting score. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. That's very little sauce given away, but just a, just a little (laughs) dab, a little taste of the secret. (laughs) Um, Just a couple more questions. I want to talk a little bit about from a large scale, what have the past couple years of adjustments been like, as you talk about the ever-changing virtual world that we're living in, as we talk mm-hmm. about new demands for racial equity, as those have come up. How has mm-hmm. NYU made adjustments to sort of meet the moments of 2022? Totally. So I guess the first thing I'll talk about is obviously COVID and the pivoting of, of the virtual world. And, you know, we were really fortunate that we'd been using Zoom many years before COVID was even a blink in our eyes. So when all of that happened, we were able to pivot really seamlessly, but also not be reactionary in that moment. Instead, mm-hmm. we were able to grow in that moment. So our uh, Zoom artistic review process is almost primarily live. The only not live on Zoom portion is the dance portion. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, that first year, that first year after the initial impact of COVID, we were able to implement live singing on Zoom, which was not something we had been doing before. We started introducing our current students into the digital artistic review process, which I think was incredibly helpful. We, this past year, reintroduced a kind of beginning moment warm up to center everybody on that Zoom platform. Uh, you know, feedback that we had gotten from students about things they really loved in person that they really were yearning for digitally. Um, so we were really able to expand and grow and better that digital process uh, to something that we feel 
really resembles almost as closely as possible what the in-person experience looks like. Um, so that's kind of the first big change that's happened. In the eyes of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think that NYU as an institution has taken that very seriously, and Tish Drama especially. Um, we are storytellers. We are responsible for representing all stories and showing all stories and recognizing all stories. And I think that that's something that for an institution and a school that is has a long history um, is a learning curve, but it's something that uh, that drama has taken really seriously. And that mm -hmm. begins with, with trainings, not only trainings with the students themselves, which is incredibly important when they come, but also with our staff and our faculty. So not only are you know, incoming staff and faculty for the university required to do that, they are also required to do a diversity, equity and inclusion training for artistic reviews. Um, and that's something that's really important to us. Um, we are also continuing to partner with, we have an assistant chair of diversity for just the drama department and several um, affinity groups and things like that. But that office specifically, we continue to partner with and sit down with every year to discuss how to make our artistic review process more equitable and diverse in every sense of the word. Um, you know, I think some of it starts institutionally when it comes to hiring faculty of color, um, you know, let's educate people on different plays and, and playwrights of color. And so that if someone's not coming in doing, you know, a certain playwright, well, that, I don't know this playwright, so it's not you know, viable, uh, you know, those conversations, which we do every year during the summer, we sit down with that office to look at how we can improve all of those things as well. Um, and I think that that's, all, that's an ongoing growth for especially our artistic review process. But I think it, I'm just happy it's being touched on and there are conversations that are happening. I love it. Um, and one of those areas of equity you're talking about was the you guys very early on went virtual this year, right? You were one of the earliest ones to go. We're pulling it. We're not yeah. risking the up and down and the, the seesaw that a lot of people, students had to go on last year <laughs> where they thought it was going to be live. And then they were mm -hmm. going to Unified, but doing it from our, their hotel rooms, which is just a mess. <laughs> yes. um, do you have a sense of what 2022, 23 looks like in terms mm -hmm. of, are there going to be some in-person auditions? Are you keeping some virtual? Are you keeping it all virtual? Are you willing to no share matter what we will, <laughs> No matter what, we will have a virtual audition process. We did before COVID and we will continue to after yeah. COVID. Um, that's a virtual live audition, not a video. Virtual, virtual live audition, live. correct. Yeah. Yes, a virtual live audition. Um, and I think it really it came from uh, equitability um, and accessibility um, originally. And I think that that holds true. We want to make sure that if you can't get on a flight to New York or Chicago or LA, that you can still be seen mm -hmm. no matter what. So that will still happen. Um, in my heart of hearts, it's my favorite part of my job running those auditions with all of those students and their families and their people in person, you know, talking to them and helping them navigate what can be one of the most stressful points in their lives thus far mm -hmm. is what I love the most about my job. So I want nothing more than to be back in person in 22, 23. I think if we get that option, what it may look like is closer to, you know, 40% in person, 60% digital. Mm -hmm. um, it could look like that, you know, prior to COVID, we were the opposite, 60% in person, 40% digital. And I think the eventual goal is probably to be 50-50 um, in person to, to digital to make sure that we are continually accessible. Um, and, you know, it's expensive to run an audition process like this, to travel all over the world, to pay evaluators, to do all of that as well. And so I think just from a, you know, university institution aspect, I think it's also looking at, at that as well. But I... I'm hopeful that, you know, I personally wrote a proposal for this past year to be in person. And although it got the initial approval, we eventually chose to not go for mm -hmm. it because of, you know, God knows, and then Omicron hit. So, um, but I, I am hopeful that 
next year with the, we've a lot more time to prepare. We've now been through several different variants. We have several different levels of protocol, especially at NYU. There's been a lot more of inviting, not just students and faculty and staff on campus that I'm hopeful that we can have some semblance of an in-person process next year. Totally. It is, we talk about it a lot, but it is like theater is inherently inefficient, you know, to have to come to a theater and do the thing. It is much more efficient to just film the thing and send it out to a billion people at once. Right. But it's right. also what is magical about it. So it's always that that push and pull of like, this is yes. the more efficient way to do it. It's easier, but it's also the true magic of the in-person experience is hard to, hard to quantify on the screen. Yeah, and we're, you know, a live art form. And so that's, that's a huge part of it is, is being with those students live and, and hearing from them. And yeah, so I, I, I hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, my last question, and I'm going to put you on the spot with a slightly different one, just because you're someone who went through this process not so many years ago. I won't out your age, but <laughs> younger than some, you know, uh, faculty. Um, I'd love to hear in terms of if you have advice for parents um, for, mm. of a prospective student. So as someone starting mm. this process, imagine a lot of people listening to this as we're in May now. They could be listening months later, but they're maybe beginning to form their list or they're seeing, seeing where NYU should fit on their list and what their goals of a, an institution might be in general. What would you, what kind of advice would you give parents as they're kind of helping to guide their, their kids through this process? I think exposure to the arts is really where it starts. And that could look like a lot of different things, right? If you're not able to see theater, to read plays, right? To help your student go to the library, check out plays and to read them. I think that that's, that's where it really begins because there are a lot of places in this country, in this world that don't have the kind of exposure to theater that a student, you know, living in New York City might have. Um, and I think that that really starts the the conversation around theater. I would also encourage parents to be open about what a BFA means. I came from a family of no artists. My mom is in politics and my dad was in finance. Um, and I was really fortunate that they were they were able to allow me to pursue this, this avenue in my life um, in a way that was accepting. And, and they took the time to also understand the programs. That it wasn't just, well, all BFA programs are this one thing and that, you know, you're going to be in the theater. You're not never going to make any money, you know, and, and this and that, which is a huge concern. And I and they were right about that. that. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest. <laughs> That's what they're right about. You know, I, I completely understand that. But to allow your student to to explore this this world and especially at an institution like NYU, which which really is giving you a ton of options. I mean, my parents big thing was a backup plan. And so I got two minors like that was mm -hmm. my way of compromising. And my program was able to do that. Um, and so researching the program with your student and 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 allowing them to explore themselves as an artist, because, you know, I think being an artist is an especially unique and special thing in this world. And. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have interactions with students and families who feel very differently um, and who are very apprehensive to allowing their student to be a part of a program um, with the Bachelor of Fine Arts. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of that level of acceptance and understanding and, and interest as well to learn about this. I mean, my dad didn't know anything about BFA programs. So, you know, he went to info sessions with me and, and you know, he educated himself, which I think was also really, really, really helpful. Um, and then the last thing is just a logistical piece. Help your students navigate deadlines lines mm -hmm. and all of those things. I mean, it can be so complicated and every school has something different. I love to recommend a good old Google sheet, write it all down. So you make all those deadlines because that's also what's going to help your students succeed when it comes to, to the, you know, the time and the place of when this all goes down.
Mm. Well, we, we often say it, parents often don't make the best artistic coaches, but they make great mm. secretaries. It's very helpful to be, <laughs> yes. you, need, you need that in this process. You need a little assistant. More yes, than you need absolutely, absolutely. Hey, honey, I think you sound a little better when you sing that. I'm like, mom, please, <laughs> it's not helping at this moment. Um, well, this was so fun, Molly. Thank you so much for the time. I know if we want to follow NYU, we could do at NYU Tish. Is there a better um, tag or hashtag? Um, the drama department has an, has an Instagram as well. I don't know. I think it might just be Tish Drama. I could be wrong. Um, you can follow Tish Drama there. Um, and I always just say, go to our website too. I mean, our website is, it can be overwhelming and complicated, but there's a lot of really important information on there. And then I will also say, you know, we have a direct phone number and email where there's a real person answering the phone at our department, mm-hmm. nine to five on weekdays. Um, and so if you have questions, concerns, anything as you navigate this process, we try to be as accessible and visible as possible. So please, please reach out to us. I'm asking, asking for app symbols and hashtags and you're giving me phone numbers and websites. Molly, what's happening? We're jumping back 20 years. I know, into the I know. Well, it's NYU. It's where, you know, a massive institution. So we like to be a little old school sometimes. <laughs> totally fair. Um, thank you so much for the time. This was really such a pleasure. Of course. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Molly. I know that was a lot of information. Um, We veered a little bit more toward the academic and logistical with this one because there's so much that is different about NYU. Um, But I found Molly incredibly quick and up to the task, and she was so game and generous, even when I was unfairly jiving her about terms like artistic review and conversation. Our regular listeners may have heard me insist on calling it a video audition and a callback as opposed to a pre-screen and an audition. I am definitely the pot calling the kettle snooty in this case. Um, I just want to zero in for a second on part of a conversation we began with Molly about early decision. And she was talking about the kind of different windows that you can audition for specifically with NYU, where they have ED1, ED2, and some of those things. NYU is one of the very few schools in the acting musical theater world where students might consider applying in that format, specifically early decision. And before I go into the specifics of early decision, and we'll talk about early auditions in general, you may have caught that definition from Molly that early decision is the one that's not like the other. So you're going to hear a lot of different terms for when you can audition, but when you hear early decision, that's the one where you apply early, you do get a result early, and it is binding. And that's the important thing that is actually different about early decision, as opposed to early action, regular decision early, or regular decision where you may, get, you may get an answer early with early action, but your early answer might also be artistically you're deferred, so you're gonna find out later with everyone else, or it could be rolling admission, but it may not end up being that different than a regular decision audition that you do in the fall versus an early action audition. Sometimes that early action is actually a little bit more about what's happening on the academic end as opposed to the, on the artistic end. And this gets really confusing as we get into all the different terms and all the different iterations of academics versus artistic. So I don't want to get too bogged down into the minute distinctions that vary from school to school. But here, the most relevant one is that if it's ED, if it's early decision, you do have to go to that school. And the others means you don't, right? And that's what's most important, I think, as you you look at this process. But I think just taking a step back, whenever you talk about doing a school early, and especially with early decision... I just want you as the listeners, both parents and students, to just think for a second about the incentive structure for the schools. They, the schools, will always encourage early auditions and especially encourage early decision because it gives them the most power, right? Especially with early decision, they have all the power. If they like you with an ED, they get to have you and it's done. 
that is very powerful compared to you heard Molly talking about the delicate balance of they offer a yes, but then the melt or the yield happens and they don't actually yield as many as they thought they were going to yield, right? Because that student decides to go somewhere else. Even when it's not early decision, though, the school still has more power because if they love you and they want to pounce on you, they could offer you a scholarship and they could encourage you to do fewer auditions. They could encourage you to make your decision earlier, right? Meaning from the student end, regardless of which the school is, you are potentially missing out on an even bigger scholarship and a better connection and a, a better fit from a school that you never actually end up meeting. That is not to say that early auditions are a bad thing. I love early auditions. I encourage any student, if they're prepared enough over the summer into their senior year that they could be doing auditions in the fall, they should be doing some auditions in the fall of their senior year. But they should be strategic about which auditions they do when and why. In general, every student gets better at auditioning throughout this process. So to put a very favorite school in that earliest pile is always a risky choice, right? You only get one audition for that school. And that's where it can be a little bit hard because you'll sometimes be going against what the school will say when they say, please come meet us early, because again, that's best for their sakes. And they may even really mean it. And they could be right when they say, we don't care that you're nervous or you're going to be less confident in your work in the fall. We don't care. We'll see through that. But that's where you have to navigate that decision for yourself. What will it be like if you do that audition for that favorite school and you weren't your most confident and you did have a little bit of shakiness because you hadn't practiced as much and you hadn't gotten as much experience how are you going to feel going through the process if that school turns out to be a no, regardless of whether that school is successfully seeing through those nerves or not? And I think especially when it comes to early decision and not just these regular early auction auditions or these regular decision early auditions in the fall, I would really make sure the reasoning for early decision isn't just so you can be done with this exhausting process. And I know it is an exhausting process. Because in truth, you've already done 95% of the hard stuff by the time you're doing an early decision audition. You may be exhausted, but you've done most of the drudgery, right? The actual auditioning part is the fun part. And you are perhaps missing out on an opportunity to find your dream scholastic fit by ending your process early. It's up to you to decide what's best for you, right? Some people marry their high school sweetheart and they're head over heels for their whole life where some people might need a bit more time to see a bit more of the field and figure out before they know I'm ready to commit to this person. Um, that was making me making an age joke on myself, really, with my partner. Um, the way Molly pointed out that even within a school like NYU, people don't always know which studio fit is right for them. We also do really see that year after year, how going through the process can change a student and help them find the school that really fits them like a glove. And that is certainly something I would want for all of you to find that school that you just feel this fits so exactly. I couldn't have even imagined at the beginning of this process how much this school fits like a glove. That's like a sports analogy. I've been making enough sports analogies recently, but glove, there's like baseball. We need Megan back. She really makes me do the, the sports analogy more. Um, and I think we're slacking a bit here. But if you find we're not slacking on great content and you want to hear more, please give us a gentle knock on that subscribe button. We'd also appreciate you if you rate us and review us where you found us. I suggest five stars if you want all mapping podcasts and an ironic five stars if you want the Charlie takeaways only. You can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com or harass me on all platforms. I'm at Charmer7. I'm even on TikTok, though that I'm just at Charmer. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep, please check us out at mtcollegeditions.com or follow us on all the social platforms. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, may you have green lights on all of your screens. We'll see you next week.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.